sung real good and just a beautiful day outside the sun shining and uh, love and fellowship we have uh, here this morning and I'm just uh, excited to be here and looking for a great day in the Lord and just pray that uh, there's a lot of conviction and opportunity right now and uh, I pray it'll be here again and uh, I pray that people take that opportunity the Lord gives them it's the greatest thing I ever did in my life and uh, I just pray that uh, Nobody would leave here today without that, what I got. And uh, I'm going to ask um, Brother David to dismiss his Sunday school.
It's good to be here this morning. Appreciate everybody for coming out. Glad to be back. Appreciate uh, a little time away. And uh, good to be home. So this morning, we are going to be in the first book of Corinthians in chapter 1, and the lesson officially starts in verse 18. We're going to back up and get a little bit of this before, I, and as you know I like to do, I, I kind of want to set the stage for what's going on here and talk a little bit of the background. It always helps me so much to understand the scripture and understand what's, what's being said and what's trying to be relayed. And so... The book of Corinthians is one of 14 books, if you count Hebrews, and I do. Uh, it's one of 14 books that Paul wrote. And the reason I say that, everybody probably knows, there's some discussion about whether Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, I think he did. It appears to me to be very similar to his other writings. And so I think he did. I'll just say it that way. Uh, but if you count Hebrews, it's 13 books. So a little bit about Paul. Uh, Paul was very highly educated. Uh, he, as a young man, before he ever became a Christian, uh, was educated, knew how to speak several languages, uh, and just had a lot of knowledge and a, just was a very smart person. Uh, we all know the story. He later was, uh, was converted, believed in Christ, and stopped persecuting the church and became really somebody that uh, did everything in his power to try to further the church. And he went into different areas where other, uh, other people, preachers and, and disciples couldn't go or wouldn't go. And one of those places was a city in Greece called Corinth. And thus the letters to the Corinthians. And so Paul, uh, during his lifetime, he went on three different missionary trips where he left and got in a boat and went someplace where there wasn't a necessarily a church already established and preached and tried to gather up believers and start a church in that area. And Corinth was one of those. Um, Corinth was one of those places. So in, and he visited there several times, but on his second missionary trip, which was 50 AD, so it was 50 years after Christ had died, Paul went, and that's, a, that's an approximation, so that's, that's not right out of the scripture somewhere, but that's an approximation and out of some different commentaries. But he goes to this this town in Greece called Corinth, and he meets some great people there. That's where he first met Aquila and Priscilla, which are friends that he writes about who helped him. It was a married couple that were also missionaries. But So he's in Corinth for about two years, from 50 A.D. until 52 A.D. here in Greece, and he's working as a tent maker during this time, but he's preaching. And after that, he leaves and he goes to Ephesus, who he later writes some uh, Ephesians, the book in, in the New Testament, a letter to them. But uh, so it's about 
three years after he leaves, approximately, that he leaves Corinth, that he is hearing of some trouble and some problems back at the church in Corinthians, uh, in Corinth, and he writes this letter to them. Now, I want to tell you this. It's interesting to me, and this is historical. This isn't biblical, but it probably it makes sense. Paul wrote, I think, several different letters back to the church in Corinth. There are two of them that we have, and we refer to them as 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but there's probably at least one that he wrote that's not part of the Bible. There may have been two, but there were communications going back and forth. So that's just interesting to me, uh, but that was the way that they communicated. Of course, you got to consider they didn't have jets and they didn't have boats that you know had... Uh, motors on them, gas-powered motors. So he couldn't just hop in some form of transportation when he needed to communicate and zip over there and in a day or two zip right back. I mean, these were month-long journeys. So he was in Ephesus in about 55 AD and he needed to communicate back to the church in Corinth and so we have this letter. All right. So what were some of the problems that Paul was hearing about. Well, right away when we get into this first chapter of Corinthians, uh, he talks to them about division in the church. And he addresses that first. And I don't think that's by mistake. He addresses a lot of different problems in, in the book of Corinthians. But division is what he addresses first with them. And I think that's because he realizes and it's still that way today. If we don't meet in one mind and in one accord with one purpose and pull in the same direction, we're very limited and probably our time is probably limited because we won't stay together. I think maybe the biggest challenge to the, the actual church is division of purpose and then that can lead to actual physical division we've experienced that in this church body it was before me but we have experienced a church split and what a terrible time that was and I've, and I've heard the people talk about that and Paul is trying to keep that from happening to this church in Corinthians He's writing him this letter, and, he, and we'll read it here, but he's telling them, you, you're picking sides over some things that may seem important to you, but let's really focus on what's important. And that part where he's focusing on what's important is really where our lesson's at today. But he's saying to them, man, pull together. Put these things behind you. Don't let there be division among you. We need to be together as one unit. And that message, Carl and I were talking yesterday. We had a meeting and we were talking. That message that Paul wrote in, in so many of his writings, but especially this, is so true and still important to us as a church and as individuals today, You know, some 2,000 years later. So... That kind of sets the backdrop. Uh, you know, Paul went on and had uh, 
three different missionary trips that he made. He visited Corinth at least three times, maybe four, but at least three times in the scripture we can see where he visited uh, Corinth. He wrote them these two beautiful letters that we have, and so uh, that's the backdrop. So let's pick up and look here in verse... Let's look in verse 12. Um, Now this I say, that every one of you that saith, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I of Christ. So who are these people? Well, Paul, he's talking about himself. Apollos is another great preacher that a lot of people got saved under Apollos. Now, he didn't write a book, so we don't have a book from him or a letter in the scriptures, but there's several references to Apollos who was a great preacher and a lot of people were saved under him. Cephas, uh, another one. And then Christ, some of them, so they were saying, well, I got saved and baptized under Paul. And there was a faction over here in the church said, well, we got saved when Apollos was here. So, you know, he's a better preacher than Paul. So, you know, our salvation is better than your salvation. And some of them were saying, well, Christ is all the only person we should look to, which sounds good. But if you're using it as something to be divisive and say, well, you got baptized under Paul. I got baptized under the name of Christ. So I'm better than you. If you're using that for a reason to create division, it's not good. So we see the division here, at least one of them, in in verse 12. So he's telling them right away, "Don't, don't be focusing on that. He goes on here, and let me read chapter, verse 13. Is Christ divided? Saying, Christ isn't divided. He's got one purpose, and that's salvation. Okay, that's the purpose. When we focus on the right thing, and that is the salvation of our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors, the people that we come into contact with, everybody. When we focus on salvation, because what's the purpose of life? Salvation. That's the purpose of life. Okay? When we focus on that, then who you got saved when they were preaching or who baptized you, all irrelevant. It's it's Christ. It's the cross. And that's what Paul's trying to tell them here. Let's not get off track. I thank God that, well, let me skip here. I'm going to skip down to maybe verse 17. Because he, 14, 15, and 16, he's saying, I baptized a few of you, but that's not really what's important. Christ is what's important. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So, not with wisdom of words. Why is that so important? Wisdom. He's saying right here to them, you can't figure this out here. All right? Let's remember, who's he talking to here? He's talking to people in Greece. Why is that important? Who's ever heard of Socrates? See your hand. Some of us have. Okay. Who's heard of another fellow named Plato? Aristotle. 
three of the greatest minds still recognized right now. Okay, I took a philosophy class my freshman year of college. Had this old professor who would come in. It was a night class. He would come in and he would have a cigar. This was back when you could still smoke in public buildings at college. He'd have a cigar, I'll never forget it, Professor Carnes. Good Christian man, but he, he taught philosophy. He taught me Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. Made my head hurt. I mean, those guys had thoughts that were so above what I'd ever even considered. He'd start talking about what their, what their theories and, and their ideas were on philosophy. It'd make my head hurt. I just wanted to get out of there. Didn't make much sense to me. All three of them if you boil it down, we're looking for what's the purpose of life? Three of the smartest guys that ever lived. Do you know when, when they lived? This is interesting to me. They lived back to back to back. So Socrates taught Plato and Plato taught Aristotle. So they were all three connected. Boom, boom, boom. Approximately 400 B.C., and they lived about 70 or 80 years apiece. They lived approximately, now it doesn't line up just perfectly, but they lived during the gap from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Why is that important? Well, I think it's significant that these three guys that are supposed to be three of the smartest guys that ever lived and none of the three of them really talk about God, if you read what they, you know. They're trying to figure it all out right here. And there's nothing wrong with using your intellectual mind. God gave it to us. But folks, three of the guys that are supposed to be the smartest people that ever lived, and if there's not something in their life beyond what their writings are, they missed it. So these are three people that are from this area where Paul is at in Corinth. The Greeks' approach to life is, let's figure this out and we can do it intellectually. He's telling them right here in verse 17, your wisdom is not enough for you to be connected to God in the way that you're supposed to be connected to God. You cannot figure it out. Socrates couldn't. Plato couldn't. Aristotle couldn't. Figure it out here. They needed to figure it out here in the same place that I figured it out. And if you've been saved to the same place you figured it out. Now, when I say figured it out, it wasn't anything I did. I just accepted what God did for me. Okay, But it wasn't through wisdom. So what's it through? Verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Okay. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. The preaching of the cross. So why is this so difficult for the Greeks? Nothing about it that's intellectual. Some guy came along, said he was the Messiah. They grabbed him up and killed him, and that's the end of it. Why would that be important? That's foolishness. 
If you don't accept it, it's foolishness. If you accept it and believe, it's the power of God unto salvation. But this society that was trying to figure it all out intellectually, it doesn't make sense to them. They, and a lot of them wouldn't accept it, but some did. There's a church here in Corinth. Why is there a church here in Corinth? Because there's a group that did accept it and put their faith in Jesus. Now, does this mean that you can't be intellectual if you're saved? Well, no, that isn't what it means. Does You know, the scripture that we quote a lot, and I like it, it's over in Mark, 8th eighth, eighth chapter of Mark. But what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his soul? Does he have something to trade? Now, we use that scripture from a standpoint of money most of the time. If you gained everything in the world, all the money. But now the Greeks, just from a societal standpoint, their approach wasn't, let's see who can get the most money. Their approach was, let's see who can be the smartest, the most intellectual, have the most unique thought, have this approach to life that you know makes people think. So knowledge is right there with money. It's just another thing. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't intellectualize your way into heaven. You've got to have faith in the cross. And that's what Paul is telling them here. So he's telling them, let's not be divided. Don't argue over these things. And then he's telling them why. There is so much need for us to reach people that are completely missing it all around us that we shouldn't waste our time on division over silly things. Okay, so verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So he's telling them here, being wise, intellectual, wisdom, those are okay things, but compared to what God has, we're going to fall short every time. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So, it's always interesting to me, and I was just had this conversation uh, when we were in Florida. We were talking about drinking coffee, and I don't drink coffee, but uh, I remember when I was just a boy, that Dad, he likes to drink coffee, and there was, he was, he'd drink a cup of coffee every morning, and there was a study that came out, and they published it. Man, it was all over the news, and in the paper and in the magazines, if you drink too much coffee, it's bad for your health. And drinking too much probably is, but just a side point. But if you drink coffee, it's bad for your health. So I remember Dad, I remember this as a young boy, Dad going, well, I'm going to limit the amount of coffee I drink. Maybe that's bad for me. Should, maybe shouldn't drink as much of that. Well, it went by about six months or some time period, and they came out with another study that drinking a cup or two of coffee every day is good for your health. And I remember Dad going, well, man, you can't, I don't know what study to believe. I'm just going to go back and drink my coffee. I enjoy drinking my coffee. Well, that's kind of funny, and it is, and it's still that way today because, man, you're, you can read one, one study that says, you know, uh, eating watermelon's good for you, and you can eat one that's well, eating watermelon's bad for you. I mean, whatever you want to look up, there's a study that will tell you something. Okay. So our wisdom. 
and, and there are multiple examples of that. And we could get into all kinds of things that are political and don't want to go there. But there are studies that will tell you whatever you want to know because we really don't know as much as we like to think we do. All right. But there is one thing that's unchanging and is ever powerful and has been the same from the beginning till now. And that is our need for God All right, and his wisdom. His wisdom doesn't change. His position doesn't change. We change. We may try to change what he said to fit us, but it doesn't change. Did anybody else have a comment? All right, verse 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Paul's saying here, take all the wisdom, put it all together, mix it up as much as you want to, apply it as much as you want to. You cannot use wisdom to get to God. It's an important message. It's an important message for us because I think there are people that sit right here week in and week out and try to intellectualize the, the message and try to figure it out, and you can't do it. You have to have faith. Okay? You have to have faith. So you can't, we all know you can't buy your way into heaven. Right? You can't intellectualize your way in either. Right? So, verse 22. Now, this, so he now starts talking about a comparison between the Jews and the Greeks, which I think is very interesting. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. So he's telling them here, he's been talking about wisdom. He's saying the Greeks seek after wisdom. You're trying to get there by wisdom. What about the Jews? Well, the Jews are looking for a sign. So let's consider why are they looking for a sign, and is that necessarily a bad thing? If you look back in the Old Testament at all of the things that the Jews look back and refer to, they were all victories, and some of them had signs, and they were things that were pointing to where the Jewish people felt that they were needing to go. So let's consider what were the Jews really looking for here? What's the Jews' problem with Jesus? 
the Jewish people were looking for someone, and you have, you have to understand where they're at now, okay? Their, their nation and their people are completely under the control of the Roman government. Rome has control over what's going on there, all right? So the Jewish people are really looking for a situation where a Messiah is going to come and be a natural conqueror and put them in a position where that they're no longer under the physical control of the Romans or anyone else. They want somebody, they want a, uh, you know, a conqueror on a white stallion with a big, uh, you know, a big spear to be the leader. That's what they're looking for. Christ didn't fulfill that from that perspective. They were looking for it naturally. They're looking for a sign. They're looking for that conqueror. All right? It, they're kind of looking for what David was in the Old Testament. God blessed David and put him there, but David conquered and won and unified Israel. All right? But it was a type and a shadow pointing forward to Christ. Christ never intended to come and have this natural victory that's is that really faith if you're looking right at it all right so there are signs in Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection is the sign but if you're looking for a natural sign you may miss the sign it has to be a spiritual connection. It's spiritual. So the Jews are looking for a sign. They're looking for this Messiah to come riding in and conquer Rome and set them up in their own situation and be the leader. That's what they're looking for naturally. That's not happening. Christ was born very poorly, was a carpenter's son, lived this life among them that was offensive to them because they're looking for something completely different. He can't be who he says he is because he's not doing it the way we expected it to be done. And then he dies. And then he's resurrected. So there's plenty of signs, but you have to believe it again by faith, not with these eyes. So Verse 22, let's read it again. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. So here's Paul said all this to now tell them. But we, the church, <clears throat> why should we not be divided? Right here's the reason why. We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. It's something they can't get over. They just can't accept it. This carpenter's son that we all knew that was from down here in the poorest place it's ever been can't be the Messiah. We crucified him. He's not the one. They're missing the sign. Okay? And under the Greeks' foolishness, the Greeks are going, well, this can't be right. This is so simple, a child can understand it. This isn't intellectual. This can't be it. It's foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. 
So right there, Paul's telling them. Now we go on and there's some more good stuff, but I mean, to me, that's it right there. Paul's saying, don't be divided. There's all of this stuff going on out there, people that aren't seeing it. Isn't it just like today? There's so much noise going on. There's so many things. Jay brought it up. There's a church on, on every corner that'll tell you what you want to hear. You know, I think a lot of people get under conviction, but they're like, well, I don't want to do this or that, or I don't like this, or I don't like that. They can find some place that'll say, just relax, it's all good, and just start coming and fit right in, and it, you know, don't worry about it. Well, that might make them feel good in the flesh for 15 minutes, but ultimately it's, it's really foolishness because it doesn't take care of their sin problem in their soul. So again, is it foolishness or is it power of God? Well, it depends on if you accept the right thing or not because somebody will tell you whatever you want to hear if you just look around enough. Okay. Any comments on that before we go on? Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So he's, again, he's just taking it from a different approach again, but saying the same thing. God has got this all figured out. We need to have our faith in him. He's stronger than us, and he's smarter than us. For we see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So what's he saying here? He's saying it is sometimes difficult, especially if you're trying to reach somebody that's real intellectual, if you're just talking to them and it's just a normal person. It's not somebody that's been to you know, Plato's uh, institution in Greece and gotten a degree and, and super smart and intellectualizing. That isn't the way that you explain salvation. Salvation has to be preached and it has to come through the Spirit and you have to move by faith. All right, now I want to take a, just a side point here and talk about intellect for a minute. Even very smart people who, you know, let's say you believe the Big Bang Theory and that's what. You, you know, you want to put your confidence in that. You have to have faith to believe in the Big Bang Theory. Well, what are you talking about? You have to have faith because you cannot lay your eyes on every bit of the Big Bang Theory and see it. You can see a piece here, and you can see a piece here, and you can see a piece here, and you can look at another piece over here. And if you want to, you can have faith, and you can connect those dots and say, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. You can do the same thing with evolution. You can do the same thing with really any intellectual theory. Okay? But you've got to have some faith in that. You're putting your faith in what is your best intellect, what happens between the dots. We already talked about it with the coffee uh, study. And if you're using the Big Bang Theory, and I read on that from time to time because they'll come out periodically and go, well, we've discovered something else, and now we think the timeline has shifted, and we were confident it was this timeline, and now it, it, we're not so confident. It's moved over here. Okay. 
Well, that's okay. You can still have faith in that. If you want to believe it, you've got to have faith in it. What are you putting your faith in? Are you putting your faith in foolishness? Or are you putting your faith in the power of God? And, there's, and you can, you know, evolution in the way it's presented in the schools that, you know, we crawled out of the ocean uh, as fish and evolved into monkeys and later evolved into people. I don't believe that. But there are some parts of evolution that make sense to me. God created a world that's ever-changing, and it does change. And I think there are some parts of evolution that do fit into what we believe. That's just me. If you want to talk to me about that later, we'll talk about that. But So you can have faith in some of those theories. And if you look at them correctly and fit them in with the Word of God, that's okay with me. But what are you putting your faith in and why? is really what you should be asking. And you need to go back to what's the real purpose of life. The purpose of life is salvation. Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, as far as what they wrote, never got that. You know, they talked for years about what the purpose of life is. It's salvation. So if we're making that our goal for our people, then, then it, it'll keep you in the right direction. And that's what Paul's trying to do here. Any comments before we move on? Verse 27. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. He's not going to come in with a powerful person on a white horse and conquer the world from a natural standpoint to display salvation. He's not going to do something that's highly intellectual to display salvation. Why? He wants it available to the lowest, simplest, easily understood child. And he wants us knowing that it's from him, not from us. If he let us do it through our strength, through our money, through our intellect, then we would have confidence in us. Our confidence needs to be in him. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. It's not us, nothing that we ever did. If we've got a talent and we use it to glorify God and he gets some glory out of that, that's because of the talent and the health that he gave us to be able to start with. So it's all through him. It's not us. If I get up here and teach and think, boy, I really taught a great lesson. I'm really something. Then I've missed it. If I, th I told Brother Carl this morning, I said, I've got some thoughts. I hope God will move. Because if he'll move, then it'll be worth something. And if he don't, then it's just vanity. It's a, the effort's good, but it really is all about God. And so it's not me, it's not you, it's him. And when we're humble, it's not always taking and beating ourselves down so low that nobody can see us. It's putting God above us. As long as we recognize that God is the reason, that's, that's humbleness and move where he, he teaches us. But there's no glory 
in the flesh in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. So if we've got wisdom, it's through him. Righteousness, it's through him. It's his righteousness, not ours. Sanctification, through him. And redemption through him. All right? And there's a lot in those four words. We could teach a, a month's worth of lessons on just those four words. We don't have time for that. But it's all through him. It's not us. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So to circle back... Paul's writing this letter to the 